Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 392 of How Do You Write? And I'm so excited that you are here with me today as we are talking to Nigar alum, and you are going to love the episode. Um, We are going to be talking about going backward to go forward, no matter where you are. Um, And that's coming up, but I'm really excited. You can hear it in my voice. This is a, uh, this is an episode I'm going to push out really quickly, like right now, because you have today and tomorrow or later if you want to push it. But I just decided spur of the moment and I told my writers list last night. So if you're not on my email writing list, you should be on it. You can go to rachelherron.com slash write to get on it. Um, But I'm going to do NaNoWriMo. I had mentioned that before, but I'm going to lead some nano games and I want you to be part of it. And that is why this is time sensitive. I want you to join right now. If you have never done NaNoWriMo, if you don't even know what it is, here's what it is. National Novel Writing Month. NaNoWriMo is the month of November when we participate in this free online lark where we write a book. We write a 50,000 word novel in the month of November. Or we rebel and we do whatever the heck we want, um, which is what I'm doing. I'm going to be writing 50,000 words of a book about writing. Can I do this? I don't know. It's freaking me out, but it's a book I really, 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 really want to write. And I could easily set this to the side and try for a few days and not get there. And I've done that a lot in nano over the years. My first year was 2006. I participated in most nanos and I don't know, I probably have succeeded in half of them, like succeeded, meaning hit my goal, whatever it was I set it for. And I don't want to do that this year. I want to hit it, which means I need accountability. And maybe you need accountability. This is for you if you have ever thought about doing nano and were too scared to do it. This is for you if you want to do it, but you don't even have an idea. Who cares? Let's channel Chris Beatty, the original founder of NaNoWriMo, who said famously and wrote a book about it, no plot, no problem. Show up and just start writing. Nano is not about quality. Nano is about quantity of words. It is about getting so many words on the page that later we want to go arrange them while doing revision, but we do not revise anything during the month of November. We just write our little hands off. That is 1,667 words a day. I might do a little bit of a reverse nano where I do some big days up ahead so that I can have some days off later on in the month because that's important to me, or I might not. I might not be able to do that, but I want to do this with people. So I want you to join me. Totally free, totally fun. There's no upsell on this. I just want to party. I just want to have a nano party. Our Wellington Municipal Liaison, unfortunately, is unwell, and we will not be having Wellington events. Um, Could I be the nano ML in Wellington? No, I could not. I do not have the time for that. But I do have the time to be a Municipal Liaison for us. For us. So what does it mean? Here's what it here's what it means. Here's what you should do. If this is interesting to you at all, go to rachelheron.com slash nano with me. All one word. N-A-N-O with me. RachelHeron.com. Nano with me. Go there right now. That will take you to my Slack channel. Sign up for the Slack channel if you're not already in it. And then go to the NaNoWriMo channel and say hello. Congratulations. You're in. Now we're doing it together. We're going to be talking in there every day about how we are doing, how we are going, and how much fun we are having, and how hard it is sometimes, and how awesome it is sometimes. Um, Also, 
I want to write with you. So please come Zoom write. I'm going to hold four of these every Thursday of November from 4 p.m. Pacific or 7 p.m. Eastern for one hour. We will spend 50 minutes writing and 10 minutes chatting about how we're doing. So there you go. We're going to have a virtual write-in every week except for Thanksgiving. Not on Thanksgiving Thursday because none of you would show up and I don't want to be alone uh, in the room. But every other day, Every other Thursday, we will write for an hour. And that last Thursday, we're going to have a party. We're not going to be writing together in that last Thursday. On the 30th of November, we're going to be celebrating. And I have a I have a particular idea for how to run this celebration. So it doesn't matter if you can or cannot come to the Zoom write-in. That is not, that's just a bonus. That's just for fun if you can, because I know it might not work with your schedule. Totally okay. But be in the Slack group. Be in there talking with us about how it is going and what wild and fanciful rides you are taking, whether you are writing fiction or nonfiction. Traditionally, NaNo is a novel, National Novel Writing Month, but it does not have to be. I'm on the writer's board. I can tell you that. You could be a rebel. Also, so go to rachelherron.com slash NaNo with me. And if this is your first time, or if you haven't set up your project yet, go to nanorimo.org. N-A-N-O-W-R-I mo.org and set up your free account there. Declare your project. Tell us a working title. Tell us what you want to write about. Um, We will connect over on Slack. We can exchange our handles and we can friend each other over on the nanorimo.org site, which is fantastic. They have a Discord. They're running sprints all the time. I'm not going to do a a Discord, but in Slack, we can do sprints. And um, it's just about writing fast and having a furiously good time. So please, you want to do that with me? Please help me hit nano. I'm. This is why I'm pushing this episode out right now, and I hope you listen to it in time. And if you're a few days late, jump in anyway. Um, might be too hard to jump in two weeks late, but that's why you should be on my email newsletter. If you're not already, if you're hearing this late, go over to rachelherron.com slash write and get on my email newsletter because I do have these wild hairs where I talk way too fast and I get really excited about doing something. And I want you to play with us and come be on Zoom together. And um, all the information will be on Slack. When you join the Slack group, it's my Onward Writer group and then the NaNoWriMo channel. When you join that, the Zoom link will be in there. And then you just show up to the Zoom and we write. And it's awesome. It's like Rachel says, right, except it's going to be just for us, for nano people the special, wild, weird nano people. I'm really excited about it. I can hardly sit still. So please, um, you want to do that? Okay, great. Fantastic. What's going on around here? I don't know. Just that. I'm wildly excited. So let's get into Nigar's bio, because that's really important too. Um, Born in Karachi, Pakistan, Nigar Alam spent her childhood in Turkey, Nigeria, Italy, Kenya, Indonesia, and the United States before returning to Karachi. With an MBA and a CPA, she has worked in both brand management and auditing. Currently, Alam teaches at Anoka Ramsey Community College and lives with her family in Minnesota. Under the Tamarind Tree is is at once an atmospheric tale about the echoes of partition and a propulsive page turner about four friends, dark secrets, and a life-changing night that haunts them decades later. So let's go talk about writing with Alam right now. It's fantastic. What a great episode. And maybe hit pause real quick. Use your phone. Just go there right now, rachelherron.com slash nano with me. Let's do this together. Okay, my friends, I'll see you in Slack. All right. Okay, bye.
Well, I could not be more pleased to welcome you to the show today. Will you please share your name and your pronouns with us? My name is Nigar Alam, and my pronouns are she, her. Welcome, Nagar. I'm so happy to have you here today. We're going to be talking about um, your gorgeous, very new book, Under the Tamarind Tree. And by the time this comes out, the book will be out. So how has this release cycle felt and, and acted for you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And this release cycle is the only one I know, so I can't compare to... I- any I was other just one. <laughs> looking around. I couldn't see the word debut jumping out at me anywhere. So this is your debut then? It is. Absolutely. It's my debut. Um, it's not my first novel, but yeah. it's my first published novel. Yeah. And how has it all been feeling? How's it been going? It feels uh, unreal, very much dreamlike because it's been quite a journey. And sometimes you just get things when you're not expecting them in a good way. And that's what this has been. Like what? What what surprises you? Well, this surprised me that when I did get agented, it was on the first 50 or so pages of an unfinished manuscript. And that is not common anymore. Not at all. And this wasn't long ago. This was 2020. So I don't even know if it was common then, but I felt uh, very lucky. It was very unexpected. And it was a mentorship that I had applied for. And to get one of the things you get when you get into the mentorship is agent representation. So that was um, a lovely surprise. Oh my goodness. And how did it feel to hold the first copy or ARC in your hands? I love to ask this question. (laughs) I just kept on like rubbing my hands all over it. Yeah. Is that normal? I don't I know. I think so. <laughs> I wanted to rub my Smell face it. all over it. I remember it. Yes. smelling my first book. Yes. Yeah. So that's how I behaved. <laughs> it was wonderful. Yes. It's so interesting that we do have such a tactile physical response to that first copy of our book because this is all of our work collected into one place. And we could flip the pages and look at all those words. And I always have that feeling like, I did that. I, I came up with all those words. How did I do that? Absolutely. So. It's like, it's a real book, like a real life book. Oh my goodness. So in order to get that real life book out into the world, what does your writing process look like? Where and how, and how do you get it all done? Well, my writing process is actually a lot of thinking first. And I, I count that one year I did NaNoWriMo and I counted my thinking hours. Yes. It was probably cheating. On my Not part. at all. Thinking is okay. writing. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, thank you for saying that. I am on the Nano so, writer, uh, NaNoWriMo writers board. So I officially dispense you with that. <laughs> okay. That, that is great to know. Yeah. I'm sure you've been I wasn't that, yeah. cheating. I wasn't you were not cheating. cheating. No. <laughs> So I do spend um, several months, like many months, just thinking and uh, figuring out with the time period and the setting, what story can there be? And what character can there be? What would the motivation be? And what would they want? So basically, Mm -hmm. very big picture, uh, just let it stew. I do research to get an idea of that time and place. 
And um, it's just a lot of thinking. So I don't spend too much time in, in my study where I am now. Because mm-hmm. I feel that this is where I do the drafting. Yeah. I sit on a an armchair somewhere or on a sofa. I stare out the window. I call that work. It's just lovely. Yeah. What what kind of tools do you use for that early pre work? The thinking work is it? Are you one of those people who holds everything in your head, or do you use you know your phone? How do you, how are you capturing the the ideas and the research that you're doing? So the research is very much online or mm-hmm. books if I'm yeah. reading nonfiction. But how I gather the ideas is so basic. It's taking um, a loose leaf piece of paper like this one with the three holes on one side. I just turn it horizontally and I draw like a bicycle wheel. Um, I put my character in the center and then there's spokes going out or maybe it's a cobweb, one (sighs) of those two. And then I I connect them all. You know, I have to figure out how it all connects. So it's a little bit like a puzzle. So this is my main like, character in the middle. What does she want and why? Very, very basic questions right at the beginning. And then who are the other people in her world? And what do they want? And then how do they connect to each other? And so it's just, that's what I've done. I've, I've written two uh, so far. And I somehow ended up doing the same thing, even though I thought I would be very uh, plotter oriented the second time I would just map it out completely write a very detailed outline like Roman numeral one a you know <laughs> b the whole thing. Yeah. it didn't work <laughs> yeah no 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 I like how you say though that, that was a that uh, that was such a basic answer to do but I've never heard anybody do that the drawing of the wheel so um our main character's in the center with what she wants or needs and then at the outside edge of this bicycle wheel is it all other characters or is it plot points or both or? It's characters. Oh, it's just cool. characters. Yeah. Because I think that's where I begin. I don't get yeah. to the plot until I start drafting. I, yeah. I don't plot it out. I just can't. I will freeze if I try to do that. I'll just stare at a blank page. So, so you really are character. really completely character driven to the point where it does look like that bicycle wheel in your head. Like in that, to me, that just symbolizes the motion that's coming. Yes, yeah. I think I, I must be. Yes, even though I love plot. I love yeah. plot. I want a lot of things happening too, but they're driven by the character. Oh, that is beautiful. Okay, so what is um, your biggest challenge when it comes to doing the writing? It is it is absolutely the first draft when mm-hmm. I am trying to hit all the plot points and um make it interesting. I actually have to use that Pomodoro method because yeah, me too. I, I, I just can't get moving. Can you tell people so who I, might not know what Pomodoro is, what it is? If it's-, it's, a, it's a timing method that you can use, set a timer for 20 minutes or 25 and then five minute break, whatever works for you. But once the timer starts, just start writing and no research, no thinking, just fingers moving and whatever comes out on the page, that's it. And you know, it's going to end soon. So <laughs> it's, it's not too painful, you know, it'll end. <laughs> and that's just how to get words on the page for me in small little bites. Yeah. I think that's, that's the most important part of the Pomodoro is that, you know, it will end because writing and for, I am entirely with you. First drafts are the worst uh, for me. And I've written so many books in 15 to 20 
five minute chunks, sometimes 45. If I'm feeling really strong and brave, it's a 45 on 15 off, but otherwise it's just all I can do to stay conscious through that, you know, 20 minutes. (laughs) 45, 45 on is, is amazing. I think that's, you don't need the method then you're good. I still do. I still do because I'm I'm waiting for that bell. And I always, I always um, listen to people with awe who say like, and if I'm in a flow at the end of the Pomodoro, I'll just keep going. No, I am. It's like a bell that springs me out of my chair. I'm done. I'm free. I could do yes. something else for a moment. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So what is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? I do love revision. I don't know if I'm the only one who does, but I love it so much because I'm with it's you. a, yeah, it just, it takes a lot of thinking. When I open that letter, it, you know, you have to take a deep breath because it's going to hurt also. <laughs> hurt so much. <laughs> hurt so much. And I, again, I sit with it for maybe a week and mm-hmm. until I feel that they were my revisions, you know, I yes. can internalize them and I'm like, yes, I get it. And I, I, so often I get it because they're just smart people who, who can do better and see more and in my writing than I can. I'm just too close to it. They're the experts in this whole editing thing. We're the writers, but they're the expert editors. So I love thinking about and talking about revision letters. Um, And I think I I know what I do is I look and I I see the praise that they put in there and I immediately forget it out of the pain, nuclear detonation of, you know, like the critique, which is what I want, but I can't quite handle it yet. I need that time. Like you do where, what do you do with that pain, that essential pain that hits you when you first read the critique in the revision letter I can't even read it in one go I kind of yeah me neither yeah Yeah. I can't it's like I look at it and then I look away one eye closed yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I'm not the only one this is lovely Um, because it it feels kind of childish like you know you have to read it so why are you hiding but yeah just little little sentences here and there and it's very nice of them to sandwich the critique with praise they must know. Of course they know. And I was just talking to somebody the other day. I don't open my manuscript at all. I don't look at anything in the manuscript until it's been about a week with the revision letter and it's, they've become my revisions, but that would be, that would actually kill me. All those little staples and nails piercing my soul. Yeah. I know. I think I might just delete it all. It would be so painful. (laughs) I'll just write a new book. It'll be easier. Can you share a craft tip of any sort with our audience? Yes, there's one that I really like because since plotting is tough, I use, I don't think it has a name, but you kind of go backwards. You start at the end and it, Mm. it doesn't have to be at the end of your final draft. It can be your first draft. It can even be, I've used it just for seven chapters or, you know, something or just uh, three chapters or three mm. scenes in the middle somewhere mm-hmm. to see if they even make sense. Are they supposed to be there? So you start at the end. If you're doing Cinderella, for example, um, Cinderella marries the prince at the end, yeah. right? Because, and then you move backwards one scene because the shoe fit and the shoe fit. And then you go back another scene because she left it on the stairs and it was hers. And then, you know, you go further back because she was at the ball because the fairy godmother, you know, granted her the wish. And I'm not sure what the story was exactly. It's been a while, but (laughs) (laughs) I I love the clarity of that. And I'm also really 
drawn to the idea of using this wherever you can in the book. Cause I'm one of those people. I don't know the end until like the second draft and it's really frustrating, but oftentimes I do know the dark moment or the, or the midpoint. And I've never thought about working, treating that like an ending and working backwards with it because you could totally do that at any point. If you can see, because she's on the stairs and runs down them as the clock strikes 12, that's all you got, but you can go, why was she on the stairs? Because Absolutely. Yes. And you can do it anywhere. And yeah. I, I am not good at always having the right scene in the right spot. And then you catch it yourself or more often than not, I have a useless scene there, you know, that I just yeah. loved and I put there, uh, there was no need for it. <laughs> so that goes into the extras file. Yeah. The extras file, the file in which I promise I will use every single word and then I never do, mm. but I've got to promise myself it's coming out because it is genius. It's probably the best thing I ever wrote. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That is, that is a lovely tip working backwards to go forwards at any point in the manuscript using, using the power of because thank you. Gorgeous. What is the kindest thing that anyone's ever done for you in your writing career? That would have to be what my writing group did. I don't even know if they did it knowingly or maybe they had a meeting behind my back and they decided to do it but my first manuscript got into pitch wars <sighs> which has now stopped unfortunately but I was so lucky to get into pitch wars with that manuscript and I went through the whole process and then there was this agent showcase and I did not get agented that manuscript didn't get agented mm-hmm. and it was and I had spent four years and that was my first completed novel I learned a ton on it um and it was it was really hard Mm -hmm. to put it in the drawer because that's what I did and my writers group they just they just didn't let me stop you know Mm -hmm. without actually saying don't stop and don't be sad they just kept going and even before all the uh queries were you know, I got all the answers to the queries. I was submitting new pages to them, coming up with a new idea. They were gentle, but they were also critiquing like they should be. And so I don't know, but they just kept it going for me. I think I would have taken a really big pause in mm-hmm. writing just mm-hmm. to recover from that. Um, I couldn't have ever stopped completely, but there would have been a really big gap. And because they just magically um, comforted me and supported me without pointing out that, hey, that was a disaster. (laughs) So they just, they were wonderful. Yeah, I definitely credit them for for this new manuscript. That's lovely. Where did you meet the people in this writer's group? So there's this lovely literary center. I live in Minneapolis suburbs and it's called the Loft Literary Mm -hmm. Center. And it's such a treasure, I think, for our writing community. I took my first novel writing class there nine years ago. Mm -hmm. It was on craft and critique. And then they they host conferences. They have author events. They just do a ton. So it was in one of those online classes, actually, that the instructor put three of us together together. And that became years later, a real life meeting uh, writers group. And we added someone to it um, from outside that class. And that's how it, you know, that's how my community got built. That's incredible. And so how often do you still meet with them or connect with them? 
we don't actually meet anymore. It lasted mm-hmm. for several years. And then everyone was on a different journey mm-hmm. at a different, you know, point in their yeah. writing career. So we, we, you know, off and on would still meet, but I think we've looked elsewhere to find the people who we need at this point in our Thank journey. you for saying that. That is so, that's such a natural thing. And I think that a lot of us, and I, I know I've been there before, like we try to hold on to these, this, this writing circle and that writing circle, but the writing, the group of writers I wrote with, you know, when I was in my twenties in college, I, I don't go on Facebook, but I bet I could find them there, you know, but I don't need them anymore. I have different sets and people walk in and out of our lives, but we have to have, I do believe we have to have that writing community around us. What does your writing community look like now? It's uh, a lot, you know, I'm still very connected to the people I met initially, even my, one of my instructors, I still, you know, she Mm. was so lovely. She featured me on her blog with this uh, debut. So I, you know, I'm a member of the WFWA, which is the Women's Fiction Writers Association and um, the Crime Writers of Color group. And they're just different groups that have supported me throughout the journey, the pitch wars class that I was a part of, we're still mm. connected, you know, on Facebook. Mm. Some people have been published, um, you know, they've published several books. Some people are still trying for they de- their debut. So again, but we are still connected. And that's, I think, one good thing of the internet. Yes. <laughs> it keeps us all connected. Yeah, that's awesome. What is the kindest thing you've ever done for yourself as a writer? I think I, um, when that first book went into the drawer, I told myself that it was just not the right time for that story. And I know that it makes sense. It's logical that that would be a good reason for the manuscript not getting agented. But at that time, I didn't believe that. I took it very personally. I was like, oh, this means I wasn't good enough. But I just lied to myself and I said, no, the book wasn't what was needed. (laughs) So, you know, someone once said to me that art, writing is like all art, that there's um, the right book for the right time for the right agent. Mm -hmm. And so I just told myself that and I I did not believe it at that point at all. But it was the only way to to distance myself from the book Mm -hmm. in the drawer and sort of let myself write another one. It was, it was such a kindness to tell that thing, to tell yourself that that felt like a lie, but it really was the truth. That book wasn't it was. right for the, any of the agents you reached out for at that point. And it had nothing to do with you, even though your heart and soul were, was probably where they were probably screaming like it is, it's all me, but you, it's the, it's the classic, you know, fake it till you make it. you say the thing until you believe it. And that's how we keep going as writers. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And it would have been so easy not to do that. So well done. Well done you. And look at, <laughs> and look at you now. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> now, what, you. Is the, what is the best book that you have read recently? And what, what did you love about it? Well, I read uh, across all genres. And so it's, um, it's really difficult to pick. But one that has had a huge impact was Viola Davis's memoir. It's called Ooh. Finding. Yes, it's called Finding Me. And it was just so powerful. It was like a gut punch. And I listened to it because um, she narrates herself. And yeah. wow, 
that feels like an extra bonus to hear her her voice her in you know her words in her voice so it was um it was very sad at, at times you know the poverty and the struggles that she had growing up but also it was remarkable the grit and the courage to stop running from it all and mm-hmm. and find herself you know mm-hmm. find her passion and who she was and i mean ultimately it was very hopeful so um that one that book still gives me goosebumps when i think about it <laughs> i would recommend it to everybody that's wonderful thank you i'm a memoir junkie and i have not read that one so that will go on my list and i will absolutely listen to it because her just her voice i would oh. listen to her voice read and literally anything but if it comes to it's- her own powerful memoir wow you will love it Thank you. Thank you. Speaking of things that we will love, will you please tell us about Under the Tamarind Tree? Yeah. So Under the Tamarind Tree is set in Karachi, Pakistan, and it alternates between the present day and 1964 when the main character, Rosina, and her three childhood friends are on the precipice of adulthood, but they're all holding on desperately to secrets. And these secrets lead to a tragic, life-changing night for all of them. And in the present day, a much older Rosina gets a telephone call from someone she hasn't heard from in over 50 years. And this person asks her for a favor that could expose all the secrets of the past and destroy everything she's been trying to protect. Speaking of goosebumps, oh my goodness. <laughs> wow, what kind of what kind of research did you put in for this? And especially in terms of the historical portions, how, how difficult was that? Yeah, that was, um, you know, it was set in the 60s. So it it's different, you know, the 60s in any country are different. Even yeah. if the writing it set in the United States, you would have to do a lot of research. So I did, um, you know, newspaper archives and a lot of reading, fiction and nonfiction documentaries. Um, works by historians, a lot of uh, historical works for the partition itself, which is an event that took place 20 years before the story even begins, but it is in the backstory of the characters. So I wanted to get that all accurate, very accurate. So that was my my research. Um, I, I started, I spent a lot of time on research and there's very little i think in the book that is that shows that i did a lot of research but that was also my goal because i felt yeah. like i wanted to write historical fiction light if if mm-hmm. that's a genre and um should sort be. of <laughs> it should be right <laughs> that you learn something without even realizing that you've learned something well i think that makes so much sense too especially as you are the character driven writer is that you know their backstory and their hearts and their traumas. And then that is naturally and organically brought into the characters without having to give a history lesson and, you know, seat everybody in a circle and and instruct. So I think that that seems like it would work beautifully. And and we know that we can find Under the Tamarind Tree in all good bookstores everywhere. Where can we find you? Oh, I am on... Uh, my website, which is nigaralamwrites.com. And on social media, I'm mostly on Instagram at nigaralamwrites. It's the same on 
Twitter or X, I don't know what we're supposed to call it, Nagar Alam writes. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. It has been a joy and a delight having you, Nagar. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.